Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Happy Monday. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, your Ohio State coverage team from Cleveland.com. Lots of good texter questions on this happy Monday. Make sure you catch up with our previous podcasts uh, from last week. We did a big draft thing. We know the NFL draft is this week, but we set you up with the Ohio State draft possibilities on the big pod last Wednesday and also talked about draft prospects on this 2020 Ohio State roster. Um, we have recruiting stuff that we did last week. The Friday pod was talking about who won our favorite modern football Buckeye bracket. But today we're going to lead off with the position group that is going to be least affected by this layoff. This is a question from a texter. It's Joseph in Atlanta. What position group do you think is going to be least affected by the shutdowns, missing spring, et cetera? Steven, when you think about this Ohio State roster, who can handle the missed time the most? Hmm. Um. Maybe quarterbacks, just because a lot of those guys have their own personal trainers as it is. And other positions, in a way, need some equipment or some other human being to be able to do things. While with quarterbacks, it's just like, you know, if you have a quarterback trainer, like we've seen Justin Fields post on social media that he's working uh, working with his quarterback trainer. C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller live in warm regions of America, so they're more, they more than likely have quarterback trainers as well. So – it's just doing the same type of work that they've already been doing with those guys in the offseason as it is. So maybe quarterback is being affected the least amount. Nathan, on that idea, um, you did a story about Miller and Stroud, Jack Miller and Stroud, the two early enrollee freshmen who were expected to start their battle to be the backup quarterback in the spring. Um, when, when you talk to Jack Miller's quarterbacks coach in Arizona, his personal quarterbacks trainer. How, what sense did you get of, of how much Jack was really missing out on stuff or how much Jack was really able to keep up with stuff? You know, at that point he had worked out with him a couple of times, um, but it wasn't like they were meeting every day. And it was more about, I mean, it was about general quarterback things and, and the way that he approaches it. And I'm, I'm his name is, is slipping me right now. I, the first time I had talked to him and, I don't have that right in front of me. Let me catch it while I'm talking because I want to make sure I give him uh, credit. But um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, but but he but he but he. Um, I was gonna go sing ahead. while you. Do you want me to sing while you? Uh, <laughs> do the Jeopardy, Jeopardy song. Do the Jeopardy his name's Mike. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll clean all that up in post. Uh, his name's Mike Giovando. Um, Editor. Mike Giovanni, and he, he works with a bunch of, of quarterbacks, um, as I detailed in that, that piece that I wrote, uh, a bunch of Division I quarterbacks, too. Um, and so they, they, they've done a few sessions, but they were and, – and, and the way that he approaches it is that, oh, you're not just going out and running little, you know, hook routes or whatever. Like, they, they put them kind of through the, the – some some pressures and make them make decisions and make them throw from tough angles. So he was getting some of that. But at the time that I spoke to him, he also mentioned that he hadn't worked with Jack in about a week at that point. It, it, it had just been sort of in the transition of when the shutdown was really getting serious out there. At first it wasn't. And then it was kind of catching up out there. You know, Ohio was a little bit earlier here and then they were getting a little bit later out in Arizona. So it may be that for the last few weeks that has not been as prevalent as it was early on in the process um so i, I kind of tend to disagree i think quarterback is one of the 
areas that's going to be affected the most, not because necessarily Justin Fields um, is being affected, but the whole point of enrolling early is to be on campus and to be learning from uh, Ryan Day and Corey Dennis, and they're not getting to do that. They can go do their general quarterback work. There's stuff that they can do in their backyards with their dads probably um, and, and do things off of videos and watch videos, watch film. I know they're doing a lot of that. But as far as going out and doing the specific Ohio State offense things that they need to learn, learning the playbook in a way that you can do – that you're doing it with your hands is different than doing it with your brain. I think you learn in a different way when you're actually out running the plays as you're learning the playbook. I think it's, it's a big loss that they don't get to have this spring. Every, every program in the country is like that, but not every program in the country was relying on a true freshman to come in and be – it, it win the job to be their backup. And that becomes tougher because of what happened this spring. So th- there's such a distinction here at this position. And Ryan Day last week was specifically asked about this. He was asked about how much is Justin Fields missing out on? And I have a terrible memory and I didn't write about this. So to correct me if I'm wrong, was it Ryan Day's answer to what is Justin Fields missing? Is he, wasn't his answer like basically Justin Fields will be fine and then he immediately spun it towards what yes. the freshman quarterbacks are missing out on? Yes. That, that was the way I, I remember that as well, that it was more about whatever – it's not that Justin Fields is missing nothing, but Justin Fields is missing the same thing as every other starting quarterback in the country is missing right now. And you're going to take Justin Fields over most of those other quarterbacks, maybe all of them, missing the same amount of stuff, right? I mean, he's just more talented. He's, he's proven it. You're going to take that. It's the what they're losing with those other two guys who are supposed to come in and be getting this jump start to their careers. That's what they can't replace and where real instruction would be helping those guys really push forward into what they can be as early as this fall. But to be honest, when we're talking about, I mean, Joseph's question, which is going to be least affected, I mean, we're probably not going to see the effects of Jack Stroud, of Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud missing this time that's probably not going to have an actual effect on Ohio State's 2020 season because Justin Fields, as long as he's healthy, is going to play every snap that matters. And so, you know, Ryan Day, he really just seemed to say, like, Justin's good, Justin's fine. And, Stephen, to me, it's interesting to think about the idea. If this was a year ago and they were missing this time and Justin Fields – had just gotten here in January and had nine weeks and three practices as a Buckeye before everything shut down. My goodness, that would be a huge problem for Ohio State. Whereas Ryan Day really truly seemed to think what Justin is doing at this point is sort of like maintenance reps, but like he has a handle on the offense. He has confidence in himself. He can make the throws. It just, it just makes me think about boy, oh boy, a year ago, if the coronavirus had hit and Justin Fields had just gotten here, that would have been a much bigger issue for Ohio State. That's directed at Steven. Hello? Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Can you hear me? Are, is, the, is the podcast interrupting your, uh, your schedule, Steven? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Can yeah. You me? Did you hear me? Okay. Yes, Editor, I heard you. Editor, take out that part. Can you imagine the, the idea? Did yeah, you I hear heard my you. question? Yes, yeah, yeah, I did okay. hear your question. I okay. just wasn't sure if you could hear me talking. Right, they'd be in panic mode right now if this had happened a year ago because Justin Fields had just got here. Not only is he now learning the playbook, but he's also trying to build relationships with his receivers, with his with Josh Myers as the starting center. There's a lot of things he'd be having to try to do. While this year, yeah, he is good this year. 
at this point, it's. I think I asked him about. It. He's gonna get the as many reps. He was gonna get as many reps as he needed in spring practice. But it is just more maintenance, and he and he'll like obviously they would have sped it up more in the fall camp as the season approaches. But in in the spring, it's just you know I'm getting my reps in to get better. But he wasn't necessarily learning learning a lot of new things on the fly this year as he would have been last year. So I then so my answer would not be quarterback either. Nathan, what's your actual answer to Joseph's question of the least affected position group? The one position group that I saw as the spring being of potentially negligible effect for them was tight end. And it doesn't have anything really to do with how Ohio state uses them, although that is a factor, but just the fact that you have two four year seniors or maybe even five year seniors and Jeremy Ruckert there as a, a three year and, and, and two year heavily involved junior. Those are the three guys who are going to play. I know, you know, Kate Stover needs to learn how to play tight end. I don't think he's going to be a factor as a freshman or as a, a, a redshirt this year playing that position. Um, I just don't think he can get up to speed that quickly. So it's really those top three guys who are going to get the vast bulk of your meaningful tight end reps. And that's a, that's a group, a, a position group that has kind of been out front in terms of its, you know, uh, diligence and the, the kind of just the tone it sets and the way that it takes care of its business. And I, I, that was the group that I think the spring was was really it was kind of really about maintenance for them. I don't know how much the offense is going to change in terms of what the responsibilities are going to be. And, and, and if assuming it's the same as last year, uh, I just think that those guys are really locked into what they have to be for this program. And you don't have to use the spring to learn something important about those guys. So my vote would be the offensive line. Um, Wyatt Davis, locked in, got it. Josh Myers, locked in, got it. Thayer Munford, locked in, got it. Harry Miller, the favorite at left guard. Everybody raved last year about how quickly he adapted as a true freshman, as a top 50 national recruit. Um, obviously, I mean, Harry Miller has not played that much. He was in the two deep last year, but he certainly could use more time. And then right tackle, the Nicholas petit Frere paris johnson battle that we saw play out for three practices. You know, petit Frere has been around. This is petit Frere's third season as a Buckeye. And so maybe in the end, that gives him an edge in the matchup with Paris Johnson. Paris Johnson's mom was one of the freshman parents that I talked to last week. And she was talking about, you know, Paris is like out, he's like watching film and then going out in the yard by himself and like working on footwork and doing pass sets and that kind of thing. Um, That's a lot different than being on Ohio State's campus. So I do think it might be hard for Paris Johnson to make a true run for a starting job as a true freshman, which would be unusual, which I think we all thought was possible because he's so talented. And I do think he's advanced as a football player, but I think overall as a group, I think they'll be able to have five guys they trust without a gazillion rep. Steven, what do you think of that offensive line take? I agree with that because it, you three three of the five starters are back and the other guys harry miller who like you just said people raved about because of the experience there there's not as much learning but the only thing i would say against that is there's a lot of equipment that offensive linemen do need in order to get reps and they don't necessarily i that's how i more looked at it when you're just talking about who just is being affected the most by how they can you know get better at what their job is going to be and i don't no many, you know, college offensive linemen who have a sled in their backyard that they can just use at will. And to the, to the point you just said about Paris Johnson, how he's watching film and then practicing it outside and makeshifting the way he can, but he's not doing it against a sled and he's probably not doing it 
against anybody who's his size in the backyard. So I, for, for the sake of experience, sure. But I think as far as affect how they can, you know, get reps and do their jo- practice, doing their job. I think they're up there as far as people who are affected just because they don't have the necessary equipment to do so. So you're basing it more on like how much you can replicate your practice sessions at your house and yeah. that a quarterback throwing a football in his yard is closer to that. Um, Nathan, yeah. Nathan, what do you think of Nathan? What do you think really it comes down to? Is it about how, is it more about how much a pos- experience as a position group has, or is it more about, how much a position is able to do while they aren't on campus. It's actually a really good point that Stephen brings up. I, mean, I was talking to Brandon Bowen last week for an article about what some of these guys are doing who didn't get to go to the combine and then didn't get to have their pro day and what they're doing to get ready. And he mentioned that he, one of the things he does is just kind of hop the fence over here at Grandview Heights um, to the high school to, to use their, just their grassy area, I guess. And I'm like, well, what do you do in there? And he's like, well, you get to work on footwork. You get to work on stuff. So there are things that an offensive lineman can do, but obviously, yeah, you don't have a blocking sled and you don't get to work in together. And I think that's one of the reasons why I disagree with your take. I don't, I think the offensive line is potentially very significantly hurt here because you still have 40% of your starting lineup that you don't know who those guys are really right now. You think it's probably Harry Miller. You think it's one of two guys at right tackle. That's still some pretty significant um, stuff to figure out, especially if, if Harry Miller is still kind of learning exactly what it is to play guard at the Big Ten level and play left guard at the Big Ten level. So I think that's still a position that is potentially pretty significantly affected because those guys aren't getting to start to come together. You could work those five guys together as your presumptive starters by the end of the spring and start getting them reps together that take you into the fall. And we've all heard throughout you know years of football that that kind of offensive line cohesion is really important. And that's something that that line doesn't really get to start building as a five-person group this spring. So it's like the other candidates is like, I feel like the secondary, they got a lot of new dudes. So I wouldn't say them. Would you guys say the secondary? No, 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 no. Maybe linebacker. Like if you're returning starters or tough Pete and Baron, like they've all been around with that. Yeah. Linebacker was like my runner up choice, except you are kind of doing something new with Baron Browning. Um, you are, you do still have that junior group trying to prove something and, and, and work their way into a bigger uh, rotation uh, presence. But that's probably my number two vote is linebacker. Receivers, they have a lot of new receivers, all those freshmen that we think are going to play. Um, yeah. I feel like they probably need reps, right? I wouldn't say receivers. Um, no, I think because they, they, a lot of those young guys do need, still need to build chemistry with Justin. So, yeah, and from that standpoint, I wouldn't say them. Maybe uh, to the point of, Master Teague and Trey Sermon weren't going to be participating in spring practice anyway. Maybe it's running back. Just because, because the two only guys we steal, Only Steel Chambers is missing reps. Everybody yeah. else missed him anyway. Yeah. So to that point, I mean, Steel Chambers is affected, but everybody else wasn't going to be out there anyway. So, so maybe that, it is running back. But that point is, well, the running backs weren't going to be ready regardless. So they're not affected because <laughs> they were all ready. <laughs> Not going to yeah. get the reps they so desperately I mean, needed. Yeah, the coronavirus had nothing to do with why they're not having spring practice. <laughs> so the thing that I th- – like, this was a thing several years ago. Urban Meyer really emphasized that it must have been the spring of 2015 after they won the national title. But he just talked so much about, like, the 2000 rep club and the guys – that the veterans that year, they just didn't – like, they didn't play them in spring almost at all. 
And I just feel like if you were, if Ryan Day was doing a thing like that now, and, and Davis and Myers aren't that old, but they were really good year one starters last year. And Thayer's been a starter for two years. Um, I just feel like, has Thayer been a starter for two years? Yeah. I just yeah. feel like they might have already, I could have seen a world where they sort of limited the reps for those three guys anyway, because they don't need them. Though they, I, Nathan, to your point, yes, 40% is new, but 60% are guys who honestly you could roll out there September 1 right now and would be fine. And then Nicholas petit Frere. You know, he worked with the first team at times last spring. He's repped against, you know, next to Wyatt Davis before. That's not a completely new uh, arrangement. And then Harry Miller, I just have faith in Harry Miller being somewhat exceptional as a young guy um, adapting to it. So um, they're just – That also doesn't factor in everything we don't know about that next line of offensive linemen. I know that you don't – you may disagree with me as far as how important that that kind of backup situation is, but I think there's a lot of question as to who – the next three best offensive linemen are on this team. No, I think that's true. I have no question that Harry Miller is going to win the left guard spot though. Yeah. So like uh, that to me is obvious. And then, you know, we said that the Johnson NPF thing um, probably, you know, the loser of the Johnson NPF battle is probably your sixth best um, lineman. So, yeah, I mean like we, everybody loves to talk about the cohesion on the offensive line and that you do need to have guys together but I feel like you have three kind of like all Big Ten caliber guys anchoring that, um, and I feel like I feel like they'd be okay. Um, and honestly, tight end, tight end's kind of a cop out answer. I mean, come on, tight end group. <laughs> you tight, asked what? I mean, but come on, tight end. Why don't you say long snapper? Because like Rowan McCullough has learned at the at the heels of his brother Liam, the long snappers. Say the punter, Drew Chrisman's flipping water bottles at home. The punting group will be the number one group least affected. Well, yeah, I mean, specialists, I guess, could be an answer. But, I mean, I think the, the tight end has a lot more responsibilities than those kinds of groups do. Yeah, but it's like four guys. That's why Kevin, Kevin Wilson doesn't have anything to do. He gets to just sit around and design plays all the time. Cause it's like, That's why they're so ready. He gets to focus. Kevin, how are your four guys? Greg Strudel was <laughs> like, I have 17 guys to coach. Kevin Wilson is like, Jake Houseman is ready to go. Um all right, the second part of that, what's your favorite amusement park? If you say something massive like Disney World, narrow it down to your favorite part of the park. I mean, like if people – is that just like – are you just like sucking up to me, Joseph? It's like, Doug, can you talk about Disney World? I actually think we've talked about amusement parks on this podcast before. Steven, do you have a favorite amusement park? I do, and it's Kings Island, but not the Kings Island that exists today, the one that was owned by Paramount with all the Nickelodeon stuff running around and it's heyday in the early 2000s. That is my favorite amusement park. They had this water ride that I remember we went to when I was like eight or nine years old. And because we're kids, we kept sneaking back. We found a shortcut so we could sneak back in the line and cut in front of people. And we probably got on that ride 25 times. And all of our parents were just hot at us because we were extremely soaking wet and had no change of clothes. So we were, we rode back to Columbus soggy and we had this backseat of the minivan that we were in smelling like all types of childhood smells. But yeah, that Kings Island specifically from the early 2000s, that's my favorite amusement park. We used to call Kings Island, and that's in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati suburbs, if you guys haven't been there. Um, we used to call Kings Island Dora Land because they had a kid's section uh, talking about the Nickelodeon yeah. people that was like, I had a lot of Dora stuff. And that was a time when my kids... Uh, my young girls really liked Dora. If you were cutting in line at Kings Island, it's very possible that I screamed at you. 
I can imagine being like, uh, hey, hey, Stephen Means. Hey, young Stephen Means. Quit cutting in yep. line. Um, you probably yeah. did. Kings Island is a really good is a really good park. Um, I would highly recommend that to anybody who hasn't been there. Nathan, do you have an amusement park you love? No, uh, I, don't, I don't really enjoy amusement parks. In fact, I don't even go to them very often. Um, I went to there's a there's a Six Flags down by St. Louis. I think it's called like Six Flags over Great America or something like that. Um, and I've been there a couple times. Uh, when I was younger, but I don't like seek them out. It's not really my, my, my version of a good time. In fact, the last time I had a chance to go to one several years ago, I was on a kind of a, a baseball road trip with a buddy and we stopped in uh, Cleveland and he wanted to go to what's the one up there? Cedar point. Yeah. Um, so they went to Cedar point and the friend we were staying with and, and my buddy. And then I drove to Canton to go to the pro football hall of fame. Nice. Which was not the right trade-off because the Pro Football Hall of Fame kind of sucks. Or at least it did 15 years ago. So as we find out, and that's why I like talking about these kind of questions. It lets our listeners and our tech subscribers get to know us a little bit. Nathan Baird, ice cream, yes. Amusement parks, no. Correct. I love Disney World. I'm not going to make it a Disney World podcast. I keep – there's like a – my wife has a friend who's a Disney travel agent, and like she and I keep talking about we're going to do a Disney World podcast. If I ever do a full-time Disney World podcast, I'll let you guys know, and you can listen to that too. Um, I love all the Disney parks. Um, I'm not a huge roller coaster guy, but um, I love Epcot because, like, you get to eat food from different countries and shop in different countries. So that's my favorite place. I love it. Some people don't want to hear me talk about Disney World, but um, that's the place where I would go. I also want to add I got a call out. When, from our podcast from Thursday, where we had a question about what's your favorite ice cream, um, somebody from England text, uh, tweeted at me and said, I never answered it because I launched into a rant about how uh, ice cream sat back on its laurels. My favorite ice cream is uh, vanilla ice cream with like a peanut butter ribbon in it. So it's like peanut butter ripple in vanilla ice cream. Um, if it, I think the best ice cream has a vanilla base. I think a chocolate-based ice cream where then you have stuff in the chocolate is too rich a lot of times, but I think vanilla on itself is great to begin with. And then when you start mixing stuff in, you can actually – you have a better chance of tasting the flavors of the mix-ins. Do you guys agree with that? If you're having a base of an ice cream before you start adding stuff, do you want a chocolate base or vanilla base? Vanilla. Yeah, I, I I tend to say vanilla. I like vanilla anyway. I'm, a, I'm like a vanilla milkshake guy. I even like the vanilla Frosties at, at Wendy's, which puts me in a, a small minority of people. I don't prefer them, but I do like them. Um, I like vanilla Frosties also, and I actually do prefer them. Okay, uh, next question from the 513. I'd like to know how you guys truly think Corey Dennis is going to perform this year as a full-time coach and coaching a room with one future NFL franchise QB and two potential stars in the making behind him. This guy's gotten a lot of hype, but I'd like to hear your guys' opinions. I'm, I, you're not expected to listen to every podcast. Perhaps, perhaps this texture from the 513 was not listening to Buckeye talk the times when I ranted and raved about this. Steven, we'll start with you. What's your general vibe on Corey Dennis? Hey, his job is easy this year. Don't get, you know, just temper Justin Fields and don't do anything to mess up his progression. So I don't think he's going to do a bad job. It's very hard to do a bad job when you've got a Heisman caliber quarterback already in the making for you, and you're not really doing any of the developing. I think, so I've said this multiple times, I want to see what, what they're able to do, especially given the circumstances of how he has to recruit right now. 
you know, who's going to be their 2022 quarterback? That's how you judge Corey Dennis. And then how do C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller look when we get back here at this moment next year after we've been through 15 practices and a spring spring game? Knock on wood that all that happens. But there isn't necessarily anything bad he can do this year other than, you know, continue to do whatever, whatever Ryan Day's plan for Justin Fields has been as far as development, just keep on that track. So there's no way he can do a terrible job in year one because of that. Nathan. I think he has a really hard job this year. He's got two guys that were brought in to be the future quarterback of this program. And then that leads right into Kyle McCord coming next year. I think he's got a lot of significant responsibilities right off the bat. He doesn't, you know, it, it helps to have Justin Fields who to, to some degree may be on autopilot more than another younger, less talented quarterback would be. But, the, the future of this program is these guys that are bringing in a quarterback, like we've just talked about in the, the, the last podcast. I think he's got to, this is, it sets the tone for how he's going to be um, judged for his whole tenure here. How long that is, you know, how, how do these guys develop? And, and he obviously get, it gets compromised a little bit. He probably gets almost somewhat of a pass for this spring. Um, and that, that could maybe be baked into how people analyze how this first year goes. But, you know, the way Ohio State's quarterback play is two or three years from now, a lot of it gets decided by what he does this year. And this kind of the stage there, the uh, the foundation that gets set with Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud and then leading into McCord next fall. So I think there's a lot on his shoulders. And that's why I think it was fair that you um, predominantly and other people have questioned, you know, whether that was the right move and he's, he's got to prove it. I think, you know, it, it's fair to, to question. I think he would probably admit it's somewhat fair to question it at least. And he's got something to prove here by the way that he steps up. And I obviously Ryan day is heavily involved too, but quarterback coach is next to his name. He's the one who's got to keep these guys on the right track. Who else questioned it? <laughs> I, I don't know if, if any, who else wrote about it, questioning it. I'm, but I mean, you're right. You might've been the, the, the one, okay. the one voice who was uh, trumpeting that. I was thinking um, if there might be a time when being an, an a-hole will become a medical diagnosis. Cause I think I might have that if, the, if that is that, that like down the road, it could be like, it's not my fault. I'm like this. I can't help it. I have, I have being a jerk disease, but like, yeah, I, I mean like, so here's the thing for people out there. I am attuned to what's happening in the world. So my headline in the system with the half written column about how Corey Dennis isn't qualified for his job is still sitting in our system. Cause I was working on it and working on it. And then the world got turned upside down and I don't feel it's appropriate to be like, Hey, are we going to have to stay inside our houses for five years? Anyway, Corey Dennis is unqualified. Like that's not, where I think we are right now. So I'm not going to write like a piece criticizing him until life settles down a little bit. Um, but I don't think he's qualified. Kenny Ananuke just left to be the defensive line coach at Fordham. He was like on the same level as Corey Dennis, right? Kenny would have loved to mm-hmm. stick around here and become Larry Johnson's immediate replacement, but he couldn't do that. So he had to go to Fordham. And he's, he's more qualified than Corey Dennis because Kenny played in the NFL and played the position that he's coaching. Corey was a receiver at Georgia Tech and has only ever been at Ohio State. So, like, I don't think there's any way you could say that Corey Dennis is more qualified than Kenny was. Kenny had to go to Fordham 
and Corey Dennis got a full-time job at Ohio State. That's all I'm talking about with all this stuff. Nathan, what were you going to say? Uh, well, I see that's the question, right? Like if, if Larry Johnson had retired or if he had gotten the chance to go be the an NFL head coach or defensive coordinator or whatever, um, I'm just thinking of like out, the outlandish kind of offers that would have drawn him away. Like Kenny Anunuke was not going to get elevated to the defensive line coach, I don't think. I mean, I think that would have really surprised us. I think they would have gone out and found someone else, a, a more established guy to come be the defensive line coach, especially considering what the kind of the vacancy would leave in recruiting and how they need to go maybe get a proven recruiter to try to replace some of that juice that Larry Johnson brings. So I, that's, that's an interesting parallel. And now it's, it is mitigated somewhat by the fact that you do have Ryan Day there as a quarterback's guru to still coach that position somewhat in a way that you don't as on the defensive side, but that that's the comparison that people need to kind of keep in mind that like that, that is what you're talking about there. Overall level of faith. One is no faith. 10 is extreme faith. What is your level of faith in Corey Dennis's ability to do this job right now? Nathan, you first. Six, six, Steven. Five and a half. Okay. I'm like three. I feel like I just got prices righted. Yeah. I'm like three and a half. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like three and a half. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm not loot. I'm not rooting for anybody to fail. Um, he's just underqualified for the job compared to basically everybody else who's ever worked at Ohio state. So, um, that's just a fact. And if you want to argue the facts with me, I would be happy to do that. Um, from, you know what? We'll be right back. We're going to take a quick, quick, quick break, quick break, quick break. And we'll be right back on Buckeye talk. All right, back to wrap up this Buckeye talk soon from the 614. What do you believe alums of the football program miss most about playing at Ohio State? We've talked a lot about what fans love and the most and uh, what fans love the most about watching the team play. And I'm curious to ask what you think the players miss most about playing. The reason I'm answering this is because Jeff Okuda did a little Twitter thing the other day where he was answering questions from fans. And uh, someone said, Nick Rice on Twitter tweeted at Jeff, we will miss you. What will you miss the most about Ohio State? And Jeff Okuda said, coming out in the shoe, Ohio against the world. And I do think there is something. NFL stadiums are smaller. NFL atmospheres are different. I have long contended that I do not think Ohio Stadium has a great home field advantage because I think if you can get ahead of the Buckeyes, the, the crowd does give up sometimes. But that moment to come out of the tunnel to come out into that place with 105,000 people there and they're so nuts at the beginning of a game. I think that initial run out of there, I think it makes guys feel like a gladiator. And I think that is a, you feel it. It's not, it, it becomes part of you. It's in your bones. It's in your blood. The way those people cheer as the head coach leads that team out of the tunnel. It's your 140 guys or 125 strong, whatever it is. You're running out together in this giant stadium. I think that is a unique moment and a unique feeling. And I think I've heard enough guys sort of talk about that, that I think that's a great answer from Jeff Okuda. Uh, do you guys have anything that you would imagine would leap to mind for players of like, man, I really loved this aspect of playing football at Ohio State? I would, I mean, that, that's a good answer. I can remember the first time that I walked um, down onto the field to get somewhere like in the last minutes of a game, I think it was a Purdue game at Notre Dame when the stadium was still filled and you are just kind of in awe of that moment. 
And I, I, it's something that I think as a player, because it's for you, that it's going to really resonate with you even longer. And I would say probably just the, the post-game victory experience is probably something pretty special. You know, you go over and you sing and you uh, – with the fans and you it, – it's just that sort of celebratory thing that probably lasts into the night, carries into Sunday morning. That's probably a pretty unique experience that you can – can chase the rest of your life in some ways and never really get an experience like that. Steven, what else might pop to mind for you? I think it's the environment in general, especially during rivalry games or whenever the last game of the season, if that's Michigan or if it's the year where you go to Michigan. So the week before senior is senior day. And you often see, you saw this Penn State game this last year where they, they let fans onto the field and you see a lot of times players will post that picture of them within like a seat of Ohio state fans and living in that moment after closing out a, a home schedule of a season. I do. I, I think just the environment of, of college football in general, especially at a place like Ohio state where it is over a hundred thousand people watching you every week is something that most of these guys miss. Cause as you said, it's not that it's never going to be at that level again, even though the play it's a higher level of play in the NFL. It is kind of weird. It's like you graduate to the pros and you play in front of fewer people. You know, there's, there's not a, you know, a lot of play, a lot of places that's not the case, but, but in this handful of the stadiums that seat more than a hundred thousand Penn state, Ohio state, Michigan, Tennessee, like you just, you can't, you'll never replicate it to that degree. Um, and leading into that from the seven Oh four, what is your favorite big 10 stadium other than Ohio stadium to visit and why what's your favorite stadium you've ever visited and why that's Kelly David Jones in the seven Oh four. Steven, you haven't quite been to all of them yet, but what stands no. out to you? I like Nebraska's because I mainly because of the you know the journey it was to get there, but also just that there was a night game, the 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 red the show they put on coming into the stadium, all the things that went with it, the fact that their fans literally stuck around to the very end and were patient until Nebraska got on the scoring board to let to let all those balloons go and that many sellouts. I really like that as far as big 10 stadiums, but overall college football stadiums is Alabama's because that's the, that's the second time I'd ever been in a, a high a power five stadium like that outside of Ohio state. Cause I'm from here, but it's, it's an outdoor press box. And so you, you're seating like the, like the fans are and that type of environment. You know, you're tired at the end of the day, just from watching the game because you're, you, it feels like you're just among the fans because it's an open stadium. And there's literally nothing else to do in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So everybody comes alive on Saturday. I have never been inside Alabama's stadium. I went to Alabama's campus when I was doing a Freddie Kitchen story um, last January, and I went to, like, the restaurant next to the stadium and, like, walked around it, but I have never have actually been inside that stadium. Nathan, any Big Ten stadium or other stadium that stands out for you? I haven't been to Penn State. I have not been to East Lansing. I think I've been to every other stadium in the Big Ten. Kind of like what we were talking about on some recent podcasts, though. There's something about, like, the first time you go to some place, and that becomes, like, what you – that's the standard that gets set. So growing up in central Illinois, um, Memorial Stadium in Champaign, like, always has a, a – it, it resonates with me that way. You've got kind of, like, the the gothic uh, pillars or whatever outside. It, like, just has this very, like, stately – 
old. You imagine like that's what it was like to go to a game there in 1937 or whatever. Um, and then inside, like it's just really vibrant. I mean, like the way the colors play off the kind of the orange and blue of Illinois, the green of the turf. I just, I think it has a very vibrant feel inside the stadium. Now they usually don't put very many people in there um, in recent years, but when you put a lot of people in there, I think it's a pretty cool stadium because it's also a little bit tighter. It, it has some intimacy. So I like stadiums like that. Um, and just to, to really, really make people upset. I think the big house is actually a pretty cool football stadium. I think I've said this before. I love stadiums where you walk in and go down. Iowa's yep. basketball arena is like that, but I really like that about Michigan stadium. And I mean, like, I just, I just think it, yeah. that makes me feel like a gladiator that it's like, you're going down in a pit. I, I think there is something to that. And that's not, there's not that many. I don't even know how many other college football stadiums are like that, but I like that aspect of the big house. Yeah, and again, it, to me, it was just also sort of like, I, I, like visually, I like the colors of places, and that place just really kind of pops for me. I don't know why. That's the, the best way I can describe it. But that's the. And last year was the first time I had been there, so that was my first experience was last season, and I I came away pretty impressed. So I would say I like Michigan Stadium. I like Penn State because it's like uh, kind of old and rickety, but it's gigantic. Um, Wisconsin is cool because it shakes. Right. Um, but I would say Penn State and Michigan are my favorite ones in the Big Ten um, outside of Ohio Stadium. And, uh, you know, I, I, the only the other ones I've been to are I, I've been to Notre Dame um, when I was in college. When I was in college, um, my junior year, Northwestern played at Notre Dame. And so I did not work for the student newspaper. People probably can tell that. But I did do student radio. And so my friend and I, we were all excited. We went and we did the broadcast of uh, Northwestern and Notre Dame. I think this is the right story. And so like the whole touchdown Jesus thing and everything is pretty cool at Notre Dame. We did the radio broadcast and then we found out after the fact that the person back in the studio had like not flipped the right switch. So it was just like static over the air for like three hours. So we did a whole a college station <laughs> broadcast of a football game just for ourselves so Notre Dame is cool the best one I think I've been to covering Ohio State outside the Big Ten is Husky Stadium when they played Washington in 2007 um, it's on the water and you can like sort of look out onto the whatever the sound or the little inlet there um, really loud just like really good that like it wasn't a super close game Jake Locker was the quarterback for Washington back then and it was kind of a a weird little non-conference game for Ohio State to play. They won 33-14 to 14, um, on September 15th, 2007. Did not have trouble. But that was like a really cool atmosphere. Very like um, Pacific Northwest feel. That was like, well, I'm not in the Big Ten right now. Which is why I hope it happens. If it does happen, Ohio State at Oregon. Um, second week of the schedule this season, if we go off as planned, I think will be a really cool game. So if you can't, if you have, have a chance to watch a game at Husky Stadium, I would recommend it. Um, They've got an outdoor press box too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oregon. Oregon does. I didn't know that. So, like, but isn't it a pain? Like, I've covered things. Like, I've covered like the World Series when you're like sitting out in the stands with people and stuff, and the auxiliary press box. I guess it feels good to be part of it, but isn't it kind of annoying? Doesn't your stuff it's, flow around? No. If it's a nice day, it's great. If it's ridiculously hot, or like, if the wind's a factor of a training, then it can get annoying. But if it's a nice day. Yeah, it's 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 not a pain. It's it's just different than what you're used to. But huh. no, it, yeah. But if it's wit now, if if the weather permits it, it's great. Okay. All right. So we appreciate you guys sending questions. If you want to be part of the podcast, want to be a friend of the pod, 
614-350-3315. That'll get you signed up for the 14-day free trial. You don't sign up instantaneously. You don't have to be afraid to send the text. But if you send the text, it sends you a link to start the very easy process to sign up for the 14-day free trial. And then it becomes $3.99 a month. I will say we had a texter who was participating in the voting and sent us a message and said, I signed up for the free trial. I love it. I'm going to keep doing it. So I, I just do think, you know, a lot of people who try it, if you can swing it, and I know it was a tough time for some people, if you can't swing it now, do the 14-day free trial, get out, and then come back when stuff normalizes, right? We totally get that. So um, if you can swing it, that'd be great. And, I, and, you know, we appreciate everybody who's part of it. So I did not get to a question that I promised I would get to. I will get to that on the Tuesday podcast because I want to try to keep this tight. Still cannot do a 30-minute podcast. But appreciate you guys listening. Keep reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Draft on Thursday. We'll keep having draft profiles of guys leading up till then. We'll have live coverage Thursday, Friday, Saturday as Ohio State guys get picked. So make sure you're reading cleveland.com. Drop a review. I think I complained before about the guy who had, like, given us a review and then within the review – was kind of criticizing us within the review. So he went back into that review and like took out the criticism and apologized for that. So I'm monitoring that stuff. We appreciate all the reviews, um, good and bad. We appreciate you interacting with us, um, but mostly we appreciate you guys listening. So for now, for Steven and Nathan, I'm Doug. Woo! And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>